Welcome to the Connections Podcast, presented by the Nebraska Safety Council, serving all of Nebraska since 1961, providing education and leadership to empower people to live safe and healthy. Now, here is your host, Nebraska Safety Council Executive Director, John Leffler, Jr. Good afternoon. Welcome. Glad to have you along for the Connections Podcast. Uh, you can find us in uh, all of your favorite uh, streaming platforms. Uh, many thanks to our producer, Cam, with Herd at Media, who uh, helps us out with this Connections Podcast. We're going to get to our guests here in a moment. But I do want to uh, also send a special shout out to Speedway Motors, a member of the Nebraska Safety Council. And uh, they've been family owned since 1952, offering quality automotive products, great service and low prices. We uh, very much appreciate Speedway Motors and all of their support of the Nebraska Safety Council and our Connections podcast. Today, we are going to be diving into the first of a three-part series dealing uh, with addressing emotional well-being and the different areas of well-being uh, as it pertains to the workplace, which naturally uh, can find itself uh, spilling over into home life. Um, And for us, this first part today, we're going to be focusing in in, and discussing occupational well-being. Um, this is something that uh, we'll be bringing our wellness services manager, Kelsey Proust, in here in just a moment. But Kelsey and I were talking about in the office the other day about how we need to get to a point where at all levels uh, in all industry, um, folks are comfortable with the idea of asking for help with uh, taking care of themselves during the workday. We've all without you know going through and belaboring the the idea or the point of what we went through uh individually organizational wise with the pandemic things have changed and we have uh, a group of guests on today that are going to help us i guess better understand what what is it's kind of the low-hanging fruit that we can address and, and focus in on to help us manage all of these new challenges uh, that we might have. So um, I'd like to start by uh, bringing in Kelsey Pruce, who is our wellness services manager uh, here at the Nebraska Safety Council. Hey, Kelsey, good to see you. How you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, we were, I was mentioning how we were having a conversation the other day and, um, you know, I, I have to say that your reaction when I told you that sometimes when things get a little overwhelming and you know exactly what I'm talking about because you know you're here and there's there's the challenges of what we're trying to do and there's a lot of a lot of passion and motivation in this Mm -hmm. office for for helping out our members and others Mm -hmm. but um just that I might just sit here at my desk and do some box breathing and what I thought was what was great about that or sort of edifying was that I I brought that up and your reaction was like your reaction to a lot of things, um, sort of excitement and just like, I love that, you know, and we were talking about the fact that, um, you know, some, some people that are in, in jobs that you and I will just never understand. The example that I use was Navy SEALs. Absolutely. That this is a, I mean, this is a technique that they use to go through, you know, go do things that we just don't even want to talk about. Yes. 
but I, I find it interesting in, in kind of your journey and as you're speaking to all of these um, members that we have and just others, the, the, the public speaking that you do, mm -hmm. um, getting to a place where I, I think I think the landscape is starting to change that people are more comfortable with the idea of really addressing that well-being in the workplace that this is not somebody being a quote unquote problem child but this is really something that needs to be a part of your culture absolutely i mean without question when i'm on these member visits when i'm going out and i'm doing lunch and learns by far and away emotional well-being mental health resources how are we navigating this new normal without a doubt is coming up which if if they're coming to us and asking about it, it means that their employees are coming to them and asking about it. And you're right. I do get excited about a lot of things. So the fact that we are getting requests for like these techniques, it's it's exciting to see what the, the future is going to bring with taking this and really starting to understand that well-being, health, safety is this holistic approach that we need to be thinking about all of it as we move forward. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the, the resources that we have um, here at the Nebraska Safety Council is our employee assistant program, a continuum. And uh, we, we've been there with them for a while now. Uh, Gail Suter, who's a part of our, our panel today, uh, has over 25 years of experience in consulting and training with companies of five to 5,000 employees. Her areas of expertise include leadership, team development, uh, performance management, conflict management, workplace harassment. She's a certified DOT substance abuse professional and a qualified facilitator of the Myers-Briggs type indicator. She's also served on uh, Continuum's critical incident stress uh, debriefing team for over 20 years and holds a master's degree from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and is a licensed mental health professional and a certified employee assistance professional. Gail, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, glad to have you on. We're going to be jumping into some some questions with you here in a moment. But before I do, I want to make sure that we get to the rest of, of our panel, uh, including uh, Doug Cavanaugh, who is with Lincoln Physical Therapy. Uh, Doug is from Wood River. Um, he's actually more famous than another Wood River resident. <laughs> I don't realize that, but... Uh, he began his physical therapy career in uh, in Grand Island, actually, back in 1999, and then joined Lincoln Physical Therapy and Sports Rehab in 2003, became a partner in the practice in 2008, married with three children, good for you, same, uh, and uh, his hobbies and interests include family activities, exercising, golfing, and playing the guitar, which I... I will say that I dropped the ball. I should have asked you to bring the guitar on and then have you actually put all of your answers to song. Um, I don't know. I don't know how that would have gone, but you know, probably not well with your audience, Sean. Yeah. Well, you know what? Um, it's better than me playing guitar. I'm a drummer. I'm not. I'm not a guitarist. Uh, our final member of the uh, panel here today, talking about occupational well-being, is Dr. Beth A. Livingston. Um, she is the Ralph L. Sheets Associate Professor in Industrial Relations at the University of Iowa's Tippie College of Business. After receiving her PhD from the University of Florida, she spent eight years at Cornell University in the School of Industrial and Labor Relations before moving to the Midwest. She's passionate about studying gender, stereotyping, discrimination, and management of work and family. Her research has been highlighted in the New York Times, NPR, and the Harvard Business Review and has been published in top 
academic journals. So I guess, uh, Dr. Livingston, my first question is, um, how do you explain falling so short in life as far as your accomplishments? You know, I, I've worked really hard, but, you know, we can't all have everything. Like, I've just, you know, realized that sometimes you have to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I what I think what is what's fun about doing this podcast and and I know Kelsey is gonna she's either gonna laugh or shake her head is that you know this is my opportunity a lot of times to to meet people for the very first time and they they quickly learn that um, I operate differently uh, <laughs> you know what all all things uh, kidding aside um, the, the occupational well being topic, which is an extremely broad one, and we're going to touch on a few different areas. It is something that um, is, we've been talking about it a lot, and we wanted to bring some experts in and, and get some uh, some feedback from you. And so we're going to step away for a quick moment here. Um, Cam, I don't know if you've got our, our little break set up so I can get all my uh, all my stuff organized over here, but we're going to step away for a quick moment and be back to talk about occupational well-being, uh, with Dr. Livingston, Gail Suter, and Doug Cavanaugh. That is coming up next on the Connections Podcast. Join us for our monthly Nebraska Safety Council Community Day, the first Friday of every month at Gateway Mall. Stop by between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. for a complimentary blood pressure check. Test your driving skills in our drive simulator. Learn about the dangers of distracted and impaired driving wearing our impairment goggles, prizes, demonstrations, and more. Our next Nebraska Safety Council Community Day is February 3rd at Gateway Mall in Lincoln. Talking today about occupational well-being, our guests are Dr. Uh, Beth Livingston uh, with, from the University of Iowa, Gail Suter with Continuum uh, EAP, and Doug Cavanaugh with Lincoln Physical Therapy. And Beth, I wanted to start with you. Um, you have written extensively uh, about the challenges of working from home, setting boundaries, uh, even dealing with the guilt that some people feel uh, working from home, which I want to ask you a little bit about that, because that, that, that one I found very interesting as I, as I was reading uh, your work on that. Um, you know, we, we mentioned it before. We don't want to, again, belabor the point of what we've all been through in the pandemic. We're hoping that we keep continuing to move further and further away from that and don't ever have to revisit that again. But we were thrust into a world where working from home for many was the only option. Uh, to stay employed. Um, as we move, hopefully, you know, farther away from that time, how have the challenges of working from home evolved? You know, it's it's very interesting because there are larger trends here, and I'll kind of just set a little bit of a stage. So, I've been interested in issues of remote work way before the pandemic. And this means that I've had an insight into what these trends are for quite a while. And so there, for a long time, there have been consultants and researchers who have been saying, well, any day now, organizations are going to catch on to the fact 
that a lot of people want to work remotely can work well remotely and there's you know really few downsides there's lower stress the same or better productivity um you know lower at work costs for many firms people are going to catch on to this and for decades a couple decades actually the rates of remote work had stayed almost completely constant like every every year it was this will be the year it was never the year um, and then COVID came and everybody whose jobs could be done, even feasibly, even in just some reasonable world could be done online, got pushed that way because there was no other recourse, right? And we had a large conversation in March and April of 2020 of what is an essential worker? What does it mean to work? I mean, these are conversations people were having about, you know, is what does it mean for my health to do this? What does it mean for everybody's health to do that? And at some point in time, there was 25 to 30% of workers that were not working, not on site. Um, now, at that moment, particularly in the summer of 2020, there were some decisions that could have been made, which was, do we build the infrastructure around these workers to say, this is our, nor this is our new normal now, this is where we stay and we will build work around this, or do we see this as just an emergency reaction we have to do in crisis and everything will go back to normal someday. Um, those of us who researched this were saying, wow, this could be the catalyst for this big shift that we've been expecting to be coming for quite a while. And I did initially see a lot of top managers who were like, well, this is actually not bad. People are really productive. They seem to like it. it workers are not very stressed out compared to what they, you know, our, our on-site workers, the people who had to come in. Maybe this is doable. Um, since then, <laughs> the last three and four years, I have seen the pendulum has swung very strongly the other direction. We see all this return to work that's happened. I have strong opinions about that, but I think mostly my opinions are, are based in research, which is I just don't see a lot of the data that a lot of folks are saying about return to work coming to fruition in terms of, well, workers are less productive or people are slacking at home. Most workers I talk to work incredibly hard and are very productive no matter where you put them. They're just going to make find a way to make it work because they care about what they do. Um, and they don't want to lose their job, right? Um, what we did find, I think that was really fascinating, was that remote workers handled the shift fairly well, but remote managers, the managers, the supervisors who were in, in, you know, supposed to train and evaluate and pay these people, they they were not okay. And I think that is what a lot of top managers clocked in on and said, well, um, there, there there must be something real here. Uh, and we've turn towards, well, we just need to train people. They've never, we've never had to manage this way before. This is new. We can train people to do that. And I think it, along with another, a number of other sort of societal trends and norms and shifts moved a lot of employers to say, it's just, this is not worth the investment. We'll just move everybody back the way it came before. But I think toothpaste tubes, they only really go one direction. It's hard to stick all that back in, you know? Well, you, you brought up the, that phrase that we heard a lot, essential workers. And I, I was curious if the guilt that you talk about for those that work from home, that challenge is the, the idea that maybe somebody is kind of getting over, you know, because they're, they're able to work from home and I've got to be out, you know, front facing, public facing, what have you. Um, is that where the guilt comes from or is it something else? Is it more with managers? Is it more with, you know, those frontline people, you know, your, your team that's that's dealing with with clients, customers, et cetera? 
it's really complex. And I think there's a, particularly in the wake of the pandemic and when we were talking about essential workers, there were a lot of really complex emotions because a lot of the people who um, stayed on site to work and a lot of the people we talked about who were essential workers, we had really long debates about what that meant, um, were not just working not at home, but were risking their health in a way that uh, complicated the relationships between coworkers, because there were some people whose health was at risk in more ways than other people. And that isn't usually the case in terms of people doing, you know, typically there are, you know, not these huge differences between, you know, job titles. Now, in those of those of us who have worked in physical labor jobs and particular types of jobs that have risks in construction and um, working out, there obviously are risks that are different between different types of professions. Um, but this felt more like a service and something that people didn't agree to, um, as opposed to when people opt into particular jobs, they know the risks they're opting into. If you're a deep sea fisherman, you know the risks that you're you're engaging in, right? Um, uh, this there were risks that were foisted upon some people, and not upon others, and and that resulted in really complex emotions about you know about fairness and what does it mean to be fair, and about how we're managing these things. And um, guilt is part of that, right? Of am I doing all that I can? Am I not? But the guilt among people who worked from home was extensive in different ways as well. Because during the height of the pandemic, a lot of people had their children home too. And that is something that is not continued um, for most people at this point. Most everybody's kids are back in school if you have school-age children. Um, but in those few months, people working from home were not only working from home, their spouse was often working from home too. So you're both working from home at the same time. And your kids are trying to do online school, which was a nightmare for many of us who were not expecting this. Again, things that you did not choose, but were foisted upon you as something you had to do. And so the guilt of I'm not doing any of these things very well, and that's a lot of, of what makes guilt happen is you feel like there's some standards you're not reaching and everybody else might have it figured out and you don't. I want to jump to you in a moment, um, Doug, but bef before I do, because I have some questions about a lot of what Beth was referring to with those challenges from working from home and some of those external factors that that came in. Gail, my question for you, and 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 you know, one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on today was the the idea of, and you know, when we booked this call, just kind of some inside baseball. When I booked this call, it was, I think sunny and 60 degrees outside so you know it's not like your typical winter day what have you but you know there's this there's this idea and, and from my perspective you know when you're leading an organization the people that are suffering from seasonal affective disorder like are truly struggling during this time of the year versus someone might just refer to it as oh well you've got the winter blues the holidays are over you're just bummed out that it's you know what have you and and, and i'm curious when you're it's sort of like teenagers and cell phones when you were at school in, in a different generation there might be some problems at school but when you went home you were home there was a separation it those issues didn't follow you home because if they did someone had to pick up the phone and call you or come to your front door they couldn't just slide onto your you know your personal device and keep the keep the conversation going the question that i had for you is that if you're working from home and you're struggling with something which is very real. It affects it affects mm -hmm. a number of people, uh, primarily women, with seasonal affective disorder. Um, 
how how you how do you consult how do you help someone that's working from home dealing with this and there is no separation for them because then the workday ends and now they've got all the potential stressors or you know overwhelming feeling with you know kids and everybody else coming home well you know i, I think the things we know is right now anxiety and depression across the country and certainly in our book of business are the highest they've ever been in years. And so not only are we looking at seasonal affective disorder, we're, we're looking at those trends that are there. Um, you know, we know that from COVID and all of those changes, people's coping skills and all of those things happen. I think one of the things that happens is when we get into um, seasonal affective disorder, we have to remember people are going to have good days, people are going to have bad days, whether they work remote or they work in the office. What we need to pay attention to is helping people always kind of gauge, where am I at emotionally? Um, what should I be doing? What's happening with me? How are we engaging as a workforce that we're comfortable having those conversations, that we're paying attention to those changes that are happening? Is someone isolating not as much? Am I seeing them not put their camera on? Have I not heard from them? Has their productivity changed? Um, am I not seeing them as engaged where in the past they would have jumped in with a comment or some information and they're not doing that now? I think the thing that we're still struggling with um, is how do we feel comfortable talking about emotional well-being and mental health? We talk about it a lot more, but we're still struggling with some of that. You know, we talk about physical health all the time. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, it's nobody, I shouldn't have eaten that, or, you know, I didn't exercise today, or gosh, I should be doing this better, or something's going on about that. But we're still hesitant in how we are comfortable asking, you know, what are you doing to lose weight? What are you doing to take care of yourself? How's your sleep? Those are pretty normal conversations, but we get a little uncomfortable when we see a change in someone for something else to be able to have that conversation about that. And okay, I'm crying, I'm getting into personal territory. But if I saw somebody that looked tired today, would I have any problem saying, wow, did you not sleep good last night? How you doing? But if I see someone that's isolating or not talking as much, I'm gonna be a little more hesitant to bring that up and to talk about that. And so I think that's where some of our challenges, whether you're working remotely or together, is again continuing to build that comfort zone in talking about emotional well-being and that being a priority and being able to work forward with that is so important. And I think there's lots of indicators that we pick up from people um, that we see all the time, whether we're in person with them or we're working remote, but we have to have the comfort zone in being having the courage to have those conversations, to check in with people, um, to not just say, are you okay? And they say, okay, but to be able to have that conversation. I noticed, you know, you haven't been as much or, you know, haven't been as eager about that. Or, you know, you seem different. How can we, well, let's talk about that. Because I think those are the times when people, if you ask, are you doing okay? What are people going to say? I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm doing great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or then, no, everything's good. Versus, mm -hmm. I noticed this. Tell me kind of what's going on, what's happening for you. You're more likely to get a little more. And again, it doesn't mean we have to diagnose or fix, but I think we can encourage that well-being and self-care and taking care of or having more awareness or maybe checking in with them more often mm -hmm. as yeah. a part of that. I have so I have a question. Just I'm I'm taking over for a minute. Hang on. <laughs> I want your perspective because 
I've seen this really cool thing. I'm not going to say who started. He may or may not be on this call, but um, he does a thing where it's like on a scale of like 100%, like what is your percentage for that day? And if they basically say less than a 50%, then you have that conversation of what can I take from you? Or is this a mental health day? What are your perspectives on, is that a, is that a way to open the door where it's not necessarily we're asking them to share their feelings? Because there's still some people who, but by giving it a value, on a scale of one head. So it's not just a yes or no. What are your thoughts on that? Just out of curiosity. I think that's amazing to be able to do that. You know, we talk about nurses. One of the things they do is they don't ask a patient, you know, do you have pain? They ask them to give on a range of one to 10, what's your pain scale? Because then the patient has to think about that. They have to talk about it, that they have to regulate it back to that. And I think one of the things we know the most important thing people do for their own emotional well-being is to have to assess where that is and what's going on with that. And so I think anytime we're having to, to even do that, and if I have to do a rank, and you know, you may say, okay, your rank today is a five. And then I may say, oh, what's going on with you that it's a five? Anything happen? And you may say, well, you know, the snowstorm outside, <laughs> and, you know, and I had to scoop the, okay, now I know why that five is there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you say, I don't know why I'm a five. Okay. And if I have it repeatedly, you've been on a five and you can't tell me what's happened that you've had a five or I've got a cold or something's happening. Then I think it's a really great place to be able to say, huh, is five where you want to be? You know, it seems like you've been consistently at that. And when we talk about seasonal affective disorder, we talk about usually it's a couple weeks that it has to be there, not a one-off. Mm -hmm. And I think for depression and anxiety, we use those terms all the time. We throw them out. Well, I'm depressed today. Well, are you really depressed today? Or it's not just been a good day or you don't have the energy level. So I think when you do that scaling, it's a great opportunity to say, why am I at that scale? And then if we do it regularly enough, we're able to say, oh, am I staying in that scale all the time? Or was that a one-off? So Kelsey, I love that. And I think that's a great way to approach that. Gail, you bring up a, a lot of real world, obviously, examples. And, and one of the things that you were you were mentioning, and um, Beth, I want to jump back to you in a moment, but for you, Doug, because um, I want to get your perspective on this, but talking about working from home and the challenges from working from home and to Gail's point, you know, sometimes the questions we have to be so careful about how we navigate and ask because you get into situations where, you know, you're you're trying to maintain that that privacy. You want to help, but you know, you might be you have someone that's working from home, and I'm speaking to you like this with this screen, and you know, yeah, you look tired. You don't look. You know, something clearly there's something going on there and you want to help. And I'm from from your perspective with ergonomics, which I think some people say you mentioned ergonomics and it's like, oh, well, that's for businesses that have lots of money. <laughs> you know, that's 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 for the Fortune 500 companies ergonomics that doesn't apply to my business. That doesn't apply to my shop. What are those what are those sort of questions that you you would ask someone like me that has a remote workforce? Hey, what what you're provide you know what you're providing them what uh, advice you've given them or insight when it when it comes to that I think open dialogue with them is so so important you know no one knows and whether it be working from home on a computer working an assembly line job working a construction job no one knows that job better than the person doing it I can't walk into someone's home 
and watch them at a computer station or their office for 15 minutes and call me the expert on that job, they know that job better than anyone. So, you know, having them say, well, you know, by the end of the week, my neck pain is four out of 10. That can kind of help you steer looking at what you need to evaluate and figure out what is what is good and what is bad. You know, the work from home thing for me, it's kind of a double-edged sword because I'll go back to a study I read several years ago where they talk about sedentary workers where they're at a computer station or a desk for, let's say, eight hours a day, you know, 40, 40 hours a week. No matter what you do, exercising, whether that be running a marathon even, CrossFit, et cetera, you can never overcome that physically. That is incredible. So what do we have to do with those workers? We have to somehow get them up and move, okay? I sit at my computer station for eight hours a day, but you know what? I'm going to have computer software pop up every five or every hour or so and tell me, hey, this is your chance for several minutes to do your stretches. This is your chance to stand up, walk around the room, et cetera, to change positions. Movement is king. And, you know, sometimes working from home actually could be better that way um, because people do maybe move around a little bit more. Um, right now, I would say most companies in regards to the sedentary jobs and, and, and the job analysis as I have done, chairs are pretty good. Desks are pretty good. A huge thing now is the sit to stand workstation. And hey, I say, you know, if you can cut your sitting by 50% every day, that's huge. You know, wear good shoes, prepare to stand more, uh, get something comfortable to stand on. And, 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 you know, you talk about the chair quality, if someone's working at home and I right away say, you know, compared to the chair you had at your office, would you say what you have at home is comparable? Is it not as good? Is it better? What can we do to make that better? Um, you know, some companies luckily have had a budget for their workers that go hybrid or work from home to spend X amount of dollars on a chair. Great. I can help them do that. So that 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 is a positive I see with with working from home is the ability to actually move more. So. Beth, you made the comment um, earlier that, you know, there was it was always this is going to be the year that we really go to the remote, you know, hybrid environment and that everyone's going to embrace it. And it's just going to become a part of how how we function um, in, in the U.S. My question for you um, with, with regard to that is, do you think that some of the hesitation has been that individuals in in leadership positions or running corporations or whether it's small medium large size businesses don't aren't convinced or don't want to make the investment in the resources to allow people to work from home a lot of what doug was talking about that you know i might be sitting in my house and saying i'm more comfortable sitting at my desk right now talking to the you know the four of you and i'm just not going to be as productive at home but i'm not ready to you know, sort of cut that check to get my sit stand desk that, you know, for my house and what have you. So, yeah, you know, I, I find what Doug was talking about fascinating because we did do, and I'll, I'll circle this back around to the question you just asked, but um, we did some research during the pandemic. And one of the things that we found was that there were a lot of negotiations for between 
um, partners who are both working from home for the first time. And all of a sudden, you know, you ever try to work with your spouse, if you don't work with your spouse, like they're nearby, you're trying to, who's using the Wi-Fi? Like all the sort of stuff that was going on. Um, but a lot of it were, were these tangible things like that. We had people bring up chairs. Like we have one good chair. And when does he get the good chair and I get the good chair for this meet, right? Because we have the one good chair. Otherwise, I have to sit on my couch and I have to use the coffee table or the, you know, and or I have to sit on the, you know, bar stool at the, ta- at the you know, at our breakfast bar and work. And, you know, they really were thinking about how their body felt and, and how little things like their neck pain and their elbow pain and like things like this that they hadn't thought about before because they didn't think about the fact that the, the stuff their organizations had already invested in were making a big difference in the way they experience their jobs until they didn't have those anymore. So our argument to companies were these are relatively cheap ways to improve the well-being of your employees, right? Like what's a chair compared to workers' comp or all these other components, right? Like these were the arguments that we were making, that these are small investments that have outsized um, outputs. But I think that that what really happened was we lost the narrative on this, um, primarily because Companies, and I talk to a lot of really amazing leaders and a lot of people who think very deeply, not just about the financial success of their companies, but how well their employees are treated and their social and environmental responsibility. Like these are people who are thinking very deeply about a lot of really big issues. Um, But we are also still people who are affected by inertia and our own biases about things. And often, Senior leaders forget what it was like to be entry-level employees. They forget what it was like to not have control over their schedules, right? If if I'm a top leader and I had something come up on that Friday morning, well, my assistant will just change that meeting to some other sport of time. They're working from everywhere. They're working from the train. They're working from the car. They're working from wherever they have to work. And they just have been able to do that because they've had to do it and they've made it work for them. And they forget what it was like to not have control over their schedule that way. Um, and it's not that they don't work sometimes they're working even more hours than some of their employees are. It's not that they're not working hard or working long. It's that control that we forget has such an important impact on the way people perceive their lives. I mean, how many of us say, right, can say right now, I feel like I don't have control over what's going on in my life, what's you know, what's happening and, um, you know, what's going on in the world. And that lack of control feeds into the stuff Gail was talking about, right, about, about how deeply employees feel these things. And so a lot of the times I've been talking about, I hear you talking about how much it costs to have these empty buildings. I hear you talking about how much it costs to invest in, you know, ergonomic chairs and setups for my employees at their at their office. But I'm not hearing you talk about the cost it will be to your employees to say, we don't trust you enough to let you work in this way. Do you think it's appropriate then? This is a question for for everyone. Do you, do you think it's appropriate then for people in those positions of leadership to, to kind of generate almost screener questions to kind of help determine whether or not what we're thinking about, I'm thinking about you, Beth, I'm thinking about you, Gail, I'm thinking about you, Doug, I want you to answer these questions for me. And this is going to help us collaboratively figure out what the best environment is for you. And if it is best for you to be working from home, then what the next steps are to make it the best optimal environment for you. Because I will tell you that I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> um, you know, I had to be in an office setting. There were too many distractions. I know myself too well. And I just, 
you know, my dog comes up and I want to hang with her. Uh, you know, I want to go outside. I want to jump on the phone, whatever it is. You want to be mobile, like Doug says you're supposed to be. <laughs> but you know what? You can't be mobile for six and a half hours a day. Job done by, by walking your dog all day. Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> Let's just say that our board frowns upon it. Um, so, you know, I, I'm just wondering, is, is that an appropriate tool? To, to use to, to kind of help determine, help people figure out what's the best environment for them? It, that's the tool that pre-COVID most companies did, which was this is by agreement. It is a rarely used, but not something that we will say completely no to. You and your manager have to kind of figure out this agreement. Many companies were using this. Um, and that's why you would see, for instance, eight of us are in the office and then Beth is, you know, calling in on the conference call line. And this happened a lot. And there were some concerns with that, that the person who wasn't the one person who wasn't there would, you know, suffer from promotions and suffer because, you know, out of sight, out of mind in terms of whether they were doing their job. So there are concerns about that. But I think to your point, one thing it does do is it starts to deliver some control back to people, some autonomy, some idea that, well, what works for you, Jeff, doesn't work for me. We are different in terms of like, I love working from home. I work great. I'm not from home right now, but I love working from home. Um, I work when I'm at the office, you know what happens to me? This, I start talking a lot, right? I'm a very social person. And am I as, 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 you know, productive as I could be? No, because you know what? I would like to stop next door and ask my, my colleagues how they've been, um, which has its benefits, but also has its drawbacks. And I think um, recognizes this, the, the individuality of each employee and what their needs are, that's harder to manage. You can't just treat everybody the same, right? Because everybody needs different things. But I do think it makes a big difference. Gail, one of the, the uh, it, it was brought up earlier and I, and I can't recall who, who uh, brought it up. Oh, no, Kelsey did. As far as mental health day, um, you know, someone taking time, you know, and building that into your PTO mm -hmm. policy. You know that listen if this is something that you need this is something that we offer but you know we kelsey we had the conversation you know, if you mm -hmm. if you break your arm or it, you know you break your leg what do you do you go you go to the hospital you go to the doctor you go to get it fixed but if mentally you're struggling that's really hard to go and talk to somebody about because it is you know maybe maybe you have this perception that it shows weakness or that you're you're not able to to do your job um i'm not saying obviously that that's that that's appropriate or the way someone should react but if you are trying to present mental health days or prioritize that in using your pto how would you suge suggest sort of creating a comfort level with everybody and a respect of this is something that you can do. It's okay for you to tell me without fear of repercussion that I just need a day, a mental health day. Do you, do you call it something else? Well, you know, I think we've got companies that are calling them well-being days, thrive days, a lot of different terms as mm -hmm. a part of it. I think, you know, having those are certainly positive. I think the thing that's really important about that is not only having the day and being able to label, I need this at this moment in time, but as what we were talking about before is that comfort zone in constantly assessing what's this person's need? Where are they at? What's your stress level? How are you handling that? What do you need that's different than what I need? Can different people manage that differently? 
And I think that's where we get so caught up in. I'm going to have one mental health PTO day a year, and that's going to fix my mental health issues as a part of it. And it doesn't. I think there's so many other pieces that that needs to be a part one piece of the puzzle that you're dealing with. And that comfort zone that, again, I think I said it before, that emotional health is just as important as physical health, that we're doing those constant things to take care of ourselves, that we work on our culture. And Beth, as you were talking about, you know, different people need different things. And how do we decide who gets to be work at home and who doesn't? Is it because they made that request? Companies have to look at what's their culture and how do we work on culture to say, how do we be the best company we can be for what we need to produce, but also for our employees to be able to produce that? And how do we live that every day versus somebody got an exception or somebody needed a mental health day or somebody isn't doing that? We really need to change how we look at productivity, company culture, adaptability uh, to, to meet that with everybody. And again, every company can't do that. And, and I think what ends up happening is if it becomes an exception for someone, then it's not a part of the culture. And so we have to really work at how can our culture be conducive to this, whether we need you here in person or we can allow you to work remote or we can adapt or you have some of these benefits that work for that. But culture has to value emotional well-being and find ways to embrace it and be comfortable with it. And I will tell you, I work with a lot of different companies and you will see those that are making the strides in that and that it's becoming more comfortable and their culture is a part of that. And those that, nope, we're still not there. We're measuring it by other things. And so that's an important piece as we try to move forward. You know, I think the days, I think the more conversations are important, but I think it's a culture piece. It really is as far as, you know, how do we do that? How do we make that work? How do we train our leaders to be comfortable and to think about what we want our culture to be, not just what's our productivity? So frame, I'm going to, I want to frame that up. And Kelsey, it sounds like- I, I'm like vibrating with excitement. <laughs> All right, Kelsey and then Beth. <laughs> I li literally, oh, Gail, you are such articulating the things that we're seeing in all these conversations that we're having. Like, it needs to be policies. It needs to be procedures. It needs to be culture. It needs to be training. It needs to be this. And it can't just be top down. It just can't be bottom up. It really has to. We have to have representation from all of these different levels of champions of Yep, leadership is bought in, but we're making sure that there are champions at every level understanding mm -hmm. that this is to make it real. You have the data points. Ideally, you have some data points that say, look, these are what our employees specifically need. And this is how we are taking our entire company to make decisions to then support our individual data. Anyway, that's all. I just love this so much. <laughs> Beth, you had a point. No, I, I mean, I think Kelsey, Kelsey made it really well, but I think also to kind of build on that, I, you know, what employees need is very idiosyncratic to the particular workplace that you have and the policies and procedures that are needed to do that will be very idiosyncratic. But I think the broader cultural shift is widespread. And what I mean by that is, yes, what your company needs, what your employee needs, 
the the way that manifests in policy and procedure is going to look different, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you work a shift job, you're not going to be, we're not going to, if you're working in a shift job on a line in a plant, you're not asking about whether you can work from home and this, like, you know, your job can't be done that mm-hmm. way. You're, these people are not dumb, right? They're, you're well aware that if you're a phlebotomist and you take blood and you're a nurse, you can't do that from your couch. You know this, okay? So this is you know, the fun parts about having these conversations. Um, but the cultural shift, the, what we call psychological safety, I can I can ask for things. I can be vulnerable. I can I can fail. I can do these things, and I am not going to be retaliated against by my boss, by my profession, by my coworkers. That that cultural shift should be consistent across all these workplaces, and that's the thing that we should be focused on. That's going to look different in different workplaces. It's going to manifest in different policies, but the need to create a psychologically safe place where employees feel they can be themselves, they can they can find the help they need, they can show vulnerability and not experience backlash. I think that's the the kind of common thread throughout it all. Gail, you brought it up earlier. Uh, the the fact that you know you work with business businesses that are further along in this journey than others and you know it's always interesting you know from where i sit when someone will come in and say hey have you ever heard about the idea of unlimited pto <laughs> i'm like really who's doing that <laughs> fantastic i'm going to give them a call um you know it, it's a there, there's a lot that you can you can glean from those folks and i think that it, it's when you are in, in a position like this regardless of how high up the the leadership ladder you are i think looking to those that have established best practices and have created like you were saying beth you know that they've they've created an environment and a culture where you can ask questions and you can offer you know insight that you know doug you mentioned it uh as well of the person that does the job knows their job better than anybody else. So listen to what they have to say. Mm-hmm. So um, w- one of my last questions here today, Doug, is is for you. And I'm thinking about when you're looking, when you're thinking in terms of ergonomics and the environment for for your people, um, whether they're they're at, you know, in a traditional office setting or they're working from home speaking to someone like myself and the the good the good better best you know kind of mm-hmm. path what what are the questions that you're going to ask me first as far as how it, my my knowledge of of ergonomics and how i'm addressing that and addressing my my staff's well-being dialogue 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 you have to have constant check-in with your staff hey do we have a hot spot on this particular part of the plant or the job site where we're getting a lot of back injuries. Or maybe over here in the office, we're having a ton of neck issues because they are on the phone without a headset phone and doing this all day with their ear to their their, their shoulder for a long, long time. So the, you, you just have to dialogue, dialogue, dialogue and get that stuff out of the way first. And then you tear into how do we make this better uh, my thing is, most of the jobs I look at, it, I tell people it's not rocket science. I'm making one or two small changes here, whether it be a desk height, whether it be a chair height, um, having you do stretches twice in the morning, twice in the afternoon. That usually works. It, it's not a whole remake of everything, you know. That is usually pretty effective. And then again, you know, you ask the same questions after the implementations are done. 
uh, four to six weeks later, what's your pain now at the end of the workday compared to before these changes? We document that and we evaluate. So, so are, are you thinking that, you know, an assessment, because the, the low hanging fruit that you're kind of talking about here, yeah. doing some sort of assessment on a, on a monthly, quarterly, a couple times a quarter, like what would you, what would be the, for those that are looking to start, what would be, you, you said dialogue, but how often are you having that dialogue and, and you know, the follow up with that? Yeah, I think monthly and you implement changes and, and I've, you know, gotten back to clients within two weeks, like, hey, what are you seeing for the reports, et cetera. So. Oh yeah, you, you have to fit the job to the worker, not the other way around. You know, I always joke when I give talks, I'm an ergonomics nightmare, I'm six foot five. So me going to work on a line, it really, you know, designed for someone five foot 10, there's gotta be immediate adaptations and, and, and adjustments for me because I'm gonna have low back pain pretty quick, so. I appreciate all of you joining us today. Uh, it's been a fascinating discussion, and um, you know we we've brought up the the uh, that that phrase that's used a lot. You know the the culture in in a, in a business or the culture in an organization. And I know that I I say here that you know culture doesn't have a finish line. It's not something where we did it. We've got our culture. We're fantastic. Let's move on. It's you're always working on it. You're always looking for ways to refine. And, and, and again, Doug, your point, dialogue, listen at every single level. Um, cause it can't be top down and you can't, you know, have it be bottom up either. Cause then, uh, things get out of control very, <laughs> very quickly. Um, I really appreciate everyone taking the time to, uh, to come in and, uh, and to talk about this as a part of our addressing well-being in the workplace. Dr. Uh, Beth Livingston, University of Iowa, Gail Suter with Continuum EAP, uh, Doug Cavanaugh with Lincoln Physical Therapy, and Kelsey Pruce, our wellness services manager here at the Nebraska Safety Council. Thank you all so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, that is going to do it for this edition of the uh, Connections podcast. Many thanks to Cam, uh, our producer with uh, HerdApp Media. Uh, for his support and keeping things on track. We're going to throw up really quickly here just some information about our upcoming annual conference, which will be uh, April 24th and 25th. Um, Kelsey, I'm going to have you speak. No, I'm not going to have you speak about that. Cam's, Cam's looking for it. There it is. Um, our, uh, our 46th annual conference that is coming up April 24th and 25th. It's an opportunity to earn some continuing education uh, credits. We will have some keynote speakers. Uh, networking, uh, an open exhibit hall. Very excited uh, for this, our 46th year for the annual conference. We will be on UNL's East Campus. Uh, you can visit our website, uh, nesafetycouncil.org to learn more about that. And I look forward to having you there. And wanna remind you that our next uh, membership monthly meeting, whether you're a member or not, if you just wanna learn more about the Nebraska Safety Council and what we offer, that is coming up Monday, February 19th. Uh, on behalf of my guests, Doug Cavanaugh, Gail Suter, uh, Kelsey Pruce, and Dr. Beth Livingston, I want to thank all of you once again. Thank you for watching the Connections podcast. You can uh, find out about our upcoming podcast at nesafetycouncil.org. Thanks for listening. Take care. The Connections Podcast is a presentation of the Nebraska Safety Council and produced by Herd App Media. For questions, suggestions, or to inquire about being a guest, please email marketing at nesafetycouncil.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
or visit us at nesafetycouncil.org. Ahura Media Production.